at Psalm 42 and 43. And we're going to read this in a slightly different way tonight. We're going to uh, listen to it being sung to us. So if the guys on the back could coordinate music and words, is that possible? No, I didn't. I've ju- I just thought of it just now. Sorry about that. I thought that would be really good, to have the words and the song. This is a guy, and I think, Hermie, you've correct me if I'm wrong, is he Andrew White? Ian White. Ian White. Who, um, if you've ever listened to his, some of his tapes, he, he puts music to all the psalms. And uh, we're going to listen um, to Psalm 42, 43 being sung, and uh, the words will appear on the screen as well. Thank you so much. As a deer pants for water, I thirst for you, Lord. But I have cried both day and night, while men say, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to praise the Lord among the happy crowd But why are you so sad, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Why are you so sad, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I will remember you from upon the mountain. I hear your call in the waterfalls, your waves sweep over me. By day the Lord will bring his love, by night I have his song. And to the Lord of all my life, a prayer I carry on. But why are you so sad, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Why are you so sad, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God, praise Him, my Savior and my God. And then I say to God, my rock, have you forgotten me? Why must I go mourning, oppressed by enemies? My bones suffer agony. As I hear the taunts of foes 
psalms and they were songs of course and sung as uh, worship songs so thanks to James and Phil that was brilliantly done especially when you realise he wasn't singing the NIV um, which is very good um, over these past weeks over the summer and um, as we progress into autumn we might extend this just a little bit as the nights draw in get ready for Christmas <laughs> Um, one of the things that I love about the Psalms is that they are songs of experience. There's nothing hidden or pretense about them. There's reality as you read these Psalms. And again and again, we are allowed the privilege of seeing the full intensity of emotions expressed, windows on the heart of people. And whether it's joy and delight and thanksgiving, or whether it's sorrow, pain, or grief. These psalms become for us a source of strength and inspiration and enable us to express 
our love and our emotions as well before God. Why I've put Psalm 42 and 43 together, obviously uh, most of you will know that this was one psalm. I don't know why they split it. It's so obviously the same psalm going through. Shall we just pray together? Father, we thank you for your word and as we've heard it sung over us tonight, we pray that these words will be an inspiration to us, Lord. That we would be a people moulded by your word and filled with your spirit. So enable us to understand what you would have us understand tonight. And enable us to respond to what you're calling us to respond to as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. On a scale of 1 to 10, if um, you were to admit how temperamental you are, where would you be? No, you don't have to shout that out. In one way or another, all of us um, are temperamental. And in the ancient world, the Greeks believed that our temperaments were all to do with our glands. Now, bear with me. They believed that there were four secretions, and they were all unpleasantly named. The first one was blood. The second one was phlegm. The third one was yellow bile, and the fourth one was black bile. Sounds really good, doesn't it? And when one or another of these secretions proved to be predominant over the others, they believed that's where you got your temperament from. Uh, A person's distinctive nature or characteristic or personality. Too much blood, and uh, you were the optimistic type, cheerful all the time, resilient. And uh, that's where we still, if you looked, and I did look it up just before, the word sanguine comes from the Latin word for blood. If you're sanguine, you're an optimist and uh, you're cheerful. Too much phlegm and uh, you would be called phlegmatic. And a phlegmatic person would be a calm, passive, not easily angered, sometimes described as lazy, lethargic, laid back. Too much yellow bile and you're excitable, fiery, quick-tempered, easily angered. Too much black bile, and you would be gloomy, melancholic, despondent, easily brought down, depressed. And most of us are actually a mixture of those things. Now, undoubtedly, we all know that the body and the mind and that the whole chemistry is much more complicated than what the Greeks thought. But I I would say if we were all honest and we went round, you would probably be able to say which one you were most like. Now, for me, because... I'm the only one that's going to be put on the spot. It'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it, if we had to go? I've got too much phlegm, I think. (laughs) And uh, some people have called me too laid back, too passive, that I I should be a bit more fiery or whatever. Um, But I don't know where you would be in that. Or maybe you're not the best one to say, actually. What would someone who knows you really well say you were? 
Now, some of us are naturally more inclined to feel down in the dumps than those who are always on cloud nine. You know that phrase, whether you see the, the uh, half-empty or half-full kind of thing. Are you a half-empty or a half-full kind of person? The Greeks were saying, for example, that a melancholic temperament is what some people have. And, and like either their freckles or whatever, you have to learn to cope with it. That's why it's quite unhelpful and misguided to say that Christians can never get downcast or even depressed. Because they obviously do. And will. If you have an optimistic temperament and personality, it may be hard for you to understand. But others of our brothers and sisters are melancholic. You just have to look at the Bible for examples of that. Over in Camden this morning, uh, Edward was talking about Jeremiah briefly. And if you, you just have to read Jeremiah and think, yeah, this man was melancholic. Elijah. They all knew times of despair in church history too. I trained at a college called Spurgeon's College and C.H. Spurgeon was an amazing man of God but suffered dreadful bouts of depression. But it was interesting when when you think about C.H. Spurgeon and you, you hear some of the stories of his life. It was that intimate relationship with God and sometimes out of those desperate times that the anointing of God came upon him because he was so desperate for God to break in to that situation. So here in Psalm 42-43 we have what's described as a song of the night. It's clearly written out of an experience of the most intense sadness of heart Yet this melancholy wasn't an enemy to the writer. In a strange way, it becomes the catalyst for his spiritual development. And there's the key, isn't it? I think that's the key. Whatever temperament you are, it has to be the catalyst for God moving in your life. The key phrase that comes again and again through this psalm is, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my saviour and my God. And what are the causes of the psalmist's anxiety? Clearly he feels that God is a long way away. He likens himself right at the beginning of this psalm to an animal, a deer, in a drought-stricken land, sniffing at the dried-up riverbeds, longing for refreshment. And we can picture that in our minds. You know, this deer seeking out water, but he can't find it in a dry and thirsty land. So my soul longs for you. That's the key. Even if you find yourself in a dry and weary land, so my soul longs after you, O God. There is an intensity about the psalmist here. He is desperate. He is longing for more of God. He is longing to be refreshed by God, longing for a a new encounter with God. And to the writer, God appears to be inaccessible. And many of us, I've heard that so many times in my role as a pastor over the years when people have said, God just feels far away. He feels inaccessible to me. 
and it's not uncommon and if you're in that place right now it's okay because the, you're expressing actually how you feel I think one of the, the sadnesses of sometimes our Christian life is that we, we feel we have to pretend to people that if we don't pretend that everything's alright somehow we're not being a real Christian and that's one of the encouragements of the Psalms the Psalms just give us that liberty just to be real and to be real with God in those times prayer does become difficult and all talk of Christian joy and peace sounds a million miles away and we sometimes watch with envy others as they're worshipping God and they're just lost in it all and, and we're going oh I don't feel like that right now yet I will praise him Yet I will worship. Here the psalmist sees the Heavenly Father as a distant relative. Remote. Not because he is, but because he just feels like that. And so often our spiritual life, whether we like it or not, is affected by the way we feel. It's true, isn't it? You know, if we're, if we're feeling really rubbish, it's really difficult to get on the front row and to, you know, really just go for it. Even if you've had a really big lunch, <laughs> it's sometimes hard. <laughs> but anyway, you know, if you have a migraine, it's really hard, isn't it? If you're tired, if you're unwell, it's hard to shout hallelujah at the top of your voice. And there are times when we go through in our Christian lives, if we follow Jesus long enough, we will go through times when it's dry. And I think those times are when God is just calling us deeper and deeper and asking us to seek him more and more and more. He's downcast in his soul. The background to this psalm is that the, the people of God are, are in exile. We don't know exactly where to place this psalm, but the people of God are away. And he remembers how he used to go with the multitudes, leading the procession to the house of God. Whether he was a worship leader, he would be there right at the front. He remembered how he would be there. Processing to the house of God with shouts of joy. There are times, I guess, in all of our lives when we remember intimate times with God, when we were just in that place with Him, and it was glorious. But now He's probably in exile, and He talks about the taunts of His enemies. He's probably homesick, deeply attached to Jerusalem. He feels disconnected he says his tears have been his food day and night while men say to me where's your god that's a really hard one isn't it i have that said to me quite often okay so where is your god then why does he allow all this why does he just this last week we had the privilege of going away with uh, 20 guys to for the golf um thing and uh, we had an open time grill the pastor night it was really great and um, and I, I thought it would be like really embarrassing silence you know just for 
you know, 20 minutes and then we'd call it a night and go for food. But an hour and a half later, they were, by then everyone was talking at the same time and we thought we'd call it a day. And of course, one of the favourite things of people who are not believers is that, where is God then? And the psalmist reflects that. And sometimes we're accused, you're a Christian, God's not doing much for you at the moment, what you're going through. And those things hurt because we know that God is for us. We know that we can trust him. I was just talking with Jenny earlier on and just some, sharing some of the things in our lives. We're just trusting God for those things. Well, yeah, I haven't got the answers to those things, but we're just trusting God because we know that he's good. We know that he's for us. We know we're secure in his hands. But I haven't got the answer. It's easy to trust God, I guess, when everything's going well. But it's when things get tough. It's a different story. And here the psalmist pours out his heart. He feels rejected. He feels a sense of loss. He feels a sense of grief. He is heartbroken. There is aching in his heart. And he talks to himself, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And he encourages himself, Put your hope in God. Because this man is a believer. And all his feelings home in on his relationship with God. And for him, his feelings have become a spiritual problem, not just an emotional one. And sometimes we do. We feel like, I'm a believer, but I shouldn't feel like this. But I do. So what does he do? What is his response? What should our our response when we feel like that, if ever we do? He faces up to them. He doesn't pretend that they're not there. He doesn't wear a mask. It's not hidden away. He admits his feelings to God and he talks with God about them. You're supposed to be my rock, my stronghold. Why, God? And it's okay. It's okay to to engage with God at that level. And maybe there is no immediate answer. But it's okay to ask the questions, why God? What are you teaching me in this? Because if we keep it all bottled in, resentment may build up. I've met people who are angry with God. They really believe that God has somehow let them down. And there is a disconnect. Because they've actually lost touch with the reality of God. It's actually more about them than God. God has not let them down. That's not in his nature. No, he doesn't always do what we want him to do and the way that we want him to do it. But he will never forsake us or leave us. Even when he feels distant, he is not. That doesn't deny the reality of what we feel. But we come to him, we take it to him because we know that we can trust him. God is no stranger to emotions. And just because we ask him questions like why, he won't cut us out of his will. He knows our hurts, our deepest thoughts, and he loves us. So first of all, the psalmist just comes in honesty and just shares with God where he is. And that's the importance of just taking time with God. 
somewhere along the line, taking time with God, just to just spend time and, and share it all. Not a quick moment just before we leave the house or, you know, just before we nod off, we touch base again. But spending some time where we just open our heart to God, we just pour it all out. Secondly, the writer remembers the past. He calls to mind the times when he was close to God. And he reminds himself that actually God has not changed. He is faithful, truthful. He keeps his promises. And he recollects all the past blessings that become a comfort to him. And those things are important. Just to go back to those times when God spoke and God revealed himself to nourish our now situation. He begins to speak to himself. He's not wallowing in it, but he's just being logical. Why are you downcast? And he names why he's downcast. And he tells himself to be patient, to hope in God. Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. Because it's not over yet. It's not over yet. You know, I was engaging in conversations with some of these guys over the week and, and you know, there are times when you just get to a point of desperation with some of them. You know, it just seems to be just such a block, just a, a brick wall. And I just have to remind, it's not over yet. And actually God's involved with this. Not over yet. And we bear in mind that there is a spiritual battle as well. The enemy wants us to take our eyes off the Lord. He wants us to be distracted. He wants us to get just consumed by ourselves. Thirdly, Psalm is praise for deliverance. It's the theme of those early verses in the second part of this psalm, or what we would call Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God. Plead my cause. Rescue me. Send forth your light, your truth. Bring me through this. There is an intense longing from this man to feel close to God. And in this dialogue with God, in a funny way, he is drawn closer to God. You know, he's not doing a Jonah. He's not running in the opposite direction. He's actually coming to God with it all and just pouring it all out. And in doing so, he is engaging with God. And there is a depth to that. There is a depth to just being real with God in the day-to-day stuff. The challenge here for me is this desperation that he feels for God. I sometimes wonder how desperate I really am. Remember an African pastor years ago, I heard him speak, and the image has always stayed with me. And uh, he had a young disciple in his church. You can do this in Africa. Just ask Rebecca. They'll get away with this. And uh, the African pastor took this disciple. He said, I want God more than anything. And he took him down to a river. And he dunked him in the water. And he just lifted him up. And he said, how desperate are you for God? He said, really desperate for God. And he dunked him underwater. And he kept him there for ages until he was splashing about. 
What were you really desperate for when you were under the water? Hair. Are you as desperate for God as you were for the air? How desperate are we? We sing a song, I think Jess sang it this morning, you know, you are the air we breathe. And I'm desperate for you. I don't think I really am. There are moments when I am. That's normally about me. When I'm up against it. I can get pretty desperate then. But am I desperate for God? Or desperate for me? I think God loves it when his people become consumed with him and desire him more than anything else. It was one of the things that, um, sorry for keeping reflecting on this, but it was one of the things that was picked up by some of the guys. It was an interesting description. Why do you Christians say you put God first above your family? And it challenged me to think how I say these things because they thought if I put God first, that means I demote everybody else. Everything else gets relegated. Because one person was saying, well, I put my children first in my life. I could never put anything above. And then I talked about worshipping. Whatever you put the most worth on, you worship. Would you worship your children? Oh, no. <laughs> but what we were trying to say is if you put God first, actually, everyone else gets promoted. Because when God is in your life, you are a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better... So there is a longing in the heart of this man to be closer to God, to be deeper with God. And so the challenge for us, to seek God with our whole heart. And no matter what our temperament, whether you're the optimist or whether you're the pessimist, whether you're laid back or you're the fiery one, to hunger and thirst for God as the deer pants for the water, to pray for a real encounter with God. And that desperate cry for God to come and move in our lives and through our lives and through our together mission in our churches. So let's just spend some time praying. I'm going to ask John and Jess just to come back. And we're going to worship together and just respond to God's word tonight. And if you're just needing... A, a touch of God upon your life. I just encourage you as we begin to sing just to come to the front and we'll begin to minister. If uh, you're on the prayer team in the churches, please just be mindful of people who are coming out for prayer. You don't have to explain everything that's going on, but if, if you're in that place where you're just struggling at the moment, just come forward. If you're in a place where you just want more of God and you're desperate for him, just come forward. Let's pray for one another in that way. So let's stand together as we sing.